Support for this WXAV podcast is being provided by Bookies, new and used books. Located at 10324 Southwestern Avenue in Chicago, Bookies specializes in new and used books. Their selection includes new releases, bestsellers, and books that are out of print. For more information, please visit their website at bookieschicago.com. You can also find them on Facebook by searching Bookies Chicago or call them at 773-239-1110. Hello and welcome to A Great Woman and Her Time, a WXAV 88.3 FM series that examines the extraordinary life of a 19th century Irish woman. And now your host, Graham Peck. Hello, my name is Graham Peck, and I am a professor of history at St. Xavier University in Chicago, where I have taught since 2002. I have published a book and produced a film on the origins of the Civil War, and you can learn more about my career by visiting my website, civilwarprof.com. But if you love to listen to history, then stay strapped into your earbuds, because we are going to take another journey into the past. We learned in the third episode of this series on Catherine Macaulay, founder of the Sisters of Mercy, that a pervasive fear of cholera precipitated a religious frenzy throughout Ireland in June of 1832. At the root of the frenzy was the intensely supernatural worldview of Irish Catholics. For educated Catholics, the supernatural worldview primarily reflected the beliefs and practices of the Church. But for less educated Catholics, the supernatural also reflected powerful pre-modern folk beliefs. Hence, the Sister of Mercy's schooling of the Irish poor put education and evangelization hand in hand. Soon enough, the cholera epidemic would prove that nursing and evangelization shared a similar religious motive. Led by Catherine Macaulay, the Sisters of Mercy would march to the door of death, serving the sick in order to minister to their eternal souls. For Catherine Macaulay, 1832 began with death. One of the young sisters whom she had recruited to join the order, Anne O'Grady, had exhausted herself in the summer of 1831 by going house to house, begging for money, clothes, and blankets, which the sisters intended to use to help the poor. By August, physicians had determined that Anne's case was hopeless. She lingered until February of 1832, by which time the sister who nursed her, Elizabeth Harley, had herself developed an advanced case of tuberculosis. Elizabeth had taken vows with Catherine as one of the first Sisters of Mercy only three months earlier. Both Catherine and Elizabeth had completed their novitiate, or period of religious formation, at the convent of the Presentation Sisters in Dublin. Because the first symptoms of Elizabeth's disease had appeared when she was working long hours in the damp, cold basement of that convent, Catherine doubtless blamed herself when Elizabeth died soon after Easter on April 
25th. Yet, despite her grief at these deaths, Catherine's providential belief in God's mercy was always evident. She read Psalm 118 to her gathered community the evening Elizabeth died. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Catherine's faith would soon be tested further because 1832 was a year of death not only for her, but also for the entire city of Dublin. The reason was cholera, which arrived with devastating consequence. Undeterred by the prospect of death, Catherine soon volunteered the services of her sisters to the city of Dublin. Her decision could easily have decimated the young order, but her abiding faith in God's providence led her to march courageously towards the danger. It was one of the earliest indications of her redoubtable character and remarkable leadership. Cholera arrived in Dublin in late March, and fear of it was palpable. The island's leading physicians soon warned the public to request immediate medical treatment if they exhibited symptoms, stating that there was, quote, little hope for anyone who delays his application for medical treatment beyond six hours. This extraordinary statement reflected the appalling consequences of the disease. Its bacterial origins were not yet understood, and therefore not treatable. So patients with severe symptoms died with astonishing speed. The bacteria induced intense diarrhea and vomiting, leading to loss of fluids. Patients literally withered, their flesh shriveling, their eyes sinking into their head, their tongue drying out, and their muscles cramping severely. It was a terrifying and agonizing way to die, mitigated only by the speed in which a precipitous drop in blood pressure induced shock and then death. Today, intravenous fluids would carry most patients through, but in 1832, the angel of death could arrive in the morning and ere noon carry away the soul of man. The rational response was to run away. Instead, in late April, immediately after the death of Elizabeth Harley, Catherine Macaulay offered the assistance of the Sisters of Mercy to the city of Dublin. Her offer was gratefully received, and the sisters were soon laboring at a newly opened cholera hospital. The demands on the sisters were severe. There were only ten of them, and they were already running a shelter for dozens of homeless women, teaching hundreds of poor girls daily, and caring for orphans. But on May 4, 1832, they also began ministering to cholera victims, marking the beginning of what would become the Mercy Sisters' great contributions 
to the profession of nursing. From 9 a.m. until 8 p.m., they labored at the hospital in groups of four, working in shifts. It was utterly grueling, awful on the senses and emotions alike. The stench of vomit and diarrhea was overpowering, and disinfecting the patients, the bedding, and floor a major challenge. Yet attending to the sick and dying was no less exhausting. The sisters prayed with and consoled the patients, a skill that Catherine had long since developed while consoling the many people who had already died in her life. Meanwhile, the example of service that she set for her fellow sisters was powerful. As one of them later recalled, although she, quote, had a natural dread of contagion, she overcame that feeling and scarcely left the hospital. The epidemic provoked profound religious feelings amongst both the sisters and those who were sick. Catherine Macaulay was moved to act, for instance, by a desire to share God's compassion and love with people who were at the precipice of death. Partly for this reason, she was in one instance accused of proselytizing. But despite the sharp divide between Protestants and Catholics in Ireland, the head physician of the hospital, who was a Protestant, came to her defense. He not only admired her, but also knew that the hospital benefited enormously from the presence of the sisters, who reassured the Catholic sick and their relatives that the Protestant doctors were not deliberately poisoning them, a suspicion that lodged in the minds of the Catholic poor because patients who arrived at the hospital sometimes died within hours. Yet the support of the head physician also reflected the remarkable administrative role that the Sisters of Mercy played in the new hospital. Catherine and her sisters were tasked with the oversight of 80 women, mostly domestic servants, who had quickly been pressed into service as nurses. The young sisters, who hailed from the wealthier classes of Irish society, took naturally to exercising authority over the nurses because they had grown up in families with servants. Consequently, the head physician reported that he regarded the sisters as, quote, of the greatest use. The hospital could not be carried on without them. They kept the 80 nurses in order, which was hard to do. And indeed, it was. The nurses occasionally drank the alcohol prescribed for the patients, an understandable response to a grim environment, but probably also reflecting bad habits developed as domestic servants. Hence, the order imposed by the sisters was vital indeed. Yet the sisters could only mitigate the crisis. In Dublin, the epidemic lasted approximately nine months. According to the official reports, it afflicted over 12,000 people 
of which about 30% died. This mass death presented a challenge that is common in such circumstances throughout the globe in modern times. To wit, what do you do with the bodies? In Ireland, a society that proclaimed the Catholic doctrine of the resurrection of the dead, burial, was necessary. Yet, space in graveyards was limited. In early May, the Royal Hospital closed Bullies Acre, its ancient burial ground for the Catholic poor, after the acre had absorbed over 500 bodies. An official from the hospital explained the grisly job of the gravedigger, observing that, quote, the whole place is so occupied and encumbered with the dead that it is impossible to open a fresh grave without encountering at every stroke of the spade some remnant of mortality. The poor were eventually permitted burial at newer cemeteries, but the problem revealed that the chasm between rich and poor in Ireland continued after death. During life and after, there was never enough land for the poor. Yet it was not only in the management of patients, but also in the encouragement of her sisters that the leadership of Catherine Macaulay shone forth. In the midst of the epidemic, Macaulay wrote a poem to honor Sister Mary Ann Doyle, who severely injured her knees by moving on them from patient to patient for hours at a time. Doyle's behavior might seem strange, except for the fact that most patients lay on pallets near the ground rather than on beds. The poem was written to cheer up both Doyle and her fellow sisters, and it has come down to the present as an emblem of Macaulay's joyful spirit of sacrifice. It reads as follows. Dear Sister Doyle, Since fatal cholera appeared, you've scarce been seen to stand, nor danger for yourself e'er feared when death o'erspread the land. While on your knees, from bed to bed, you quickly moved about. It did not enter in your head that knees could e'er wear out. You've hurt the marrow in the bone, imploring aid and pity, and every cardinal in Rome would say you've saved the city. Now that the story of your fame in annals may be seen, we'll give each wounded knee a name, cholera and cholerine. The cholera epidemic thus brought out the best in both Catherine Macaulay and her young sisters. They showed their value to the city of Dublin and the Catholic Church, and fortuitously, they did not lose any sisters to the dread disease. Yet the epidemic raises a fascinating question for our next episode. Why was it that wealthy women would voluntarily take vows of chastity, poverty, and obedience in order to serve the poor at the risk 
of their lives. On the docket for our next episode are the stories of some of those sisters. Don't change the channel. You've been listening to WXAV's A Great Woman and Her Time, a program created, researched, written, and narrated by Graham Peck. Engineering and editing by Peter Creighton. For more information on the series, please visit Graham Peck's website, civilwarprof.com. <laughs>